the 26th of May, we're having um, workshops on Bible study methods. So three Saturdays in a row, um, we're going to be going through different methods of Bible study. We're going to be going through uh, passages together and showing you how to study more in depth when you study the Bible. Um, and because that's going to be after church, we're going to provide lunch for you on those three days. And so um, I think one of the weekends is potluck, but the other two will be providing you a simple you know, soup and bread type of thing. So um, please mark that and plan to come on the 12th, 19th, and 26th of May. Um, also, if you can help RSVP for those ahead of time, we'll know how much food to prepare for you. Well done, Josh. We've got another special um, event coming up. Go to Daddy. Um, on the 2nd of June, which is the first Saturday of June, we have a very special event. Um, so my husband, who is the other pastor here, um, is getting ordained on that day. So for those of you who are not familiar with what that means, it's like getting tenure as a professor. But uh, for pastors, that's kind of, um, it, it means that, you know, God has called us into ministry, and we already know that. But it's a time when other people also um, affirm that you've been called to ministry and, and the church affirms that you've been called to ministry. And it's a day to just, I guess, accept that calling wholeheartedly and say, yes, I'm dedicating my whole life to you as, as, a, as a minister of the gospel. And so those of you who are here for my uh, commissioning, was it last year now? Two years ago. Wow, it's been two years already. Um, Remember that it was quite packed in here, so we decided that we won't play sardines this time, but we're going to be having it uh, at the Preston Avenue Church, which is a lot bigger, because um, Roy has more friends than I do. And so um, on the 2nd of June, it's going to be at 3 p.m. at the Preston Avenue Church. It's 94 David Street, Preston. Uh, we chose it because it's close to home. <laughs> we're going to provide nibbles and things, and so... Um, Please prepare for that, and we would love it if all of you can come and help celebrate um, and be with us to really, um, it's a very special day. Roy's dad is flying in, so we're excited that we get to see him. Um, there's uh, a few other special events coming up as well, but I'll let you refer back to your bulletins for those. And I just want to highlight that we do have four small groups, um, one in the city run by Emma and Kieran that, that runs on uh, fortnightly on the first and third Friday of each month. Um, as well as uh, one run by Galen and Janelle, which is every Friday. And um, there's also the one in the city that meets fortnightly Wednesdays during lunch. And so, um, and the Coburg one is in transition, but Sam and Michael, um, you can talk to Sam and Michael for more information about that. And so we invite you to join a small group if you haven't already done so. And we're excited that you get to be with us in church today. And I can't believe it's almost May, but... Um, as we go into, I guess this is kind of the transition from the fall, autumn weather to the winter weather. So I know that it's a time when you want to just stay home and sleep in. But I'm really, really excited that you chose to come to church instead. And I hope that you're very, very blessed today. Good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to join me for a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Thank you for today and the opportunity to come to church and spend time together learning more about you. We would like to reflect on the week that's just passed and thank you for all your many blessings and answered prayers, many of which we often don't realize at the time. Uh, some of us have had challenging weeks and are suffering physically, emotionally or spiritually. I pray that you'll be especially close to these people and remind them of your promise to give rest to the weary and peace that passes understanding to those enduring stressful and seemingly insurmountably difficult circumstances. 
Thank you for this church and its wonderful leadership. We pray that it will continue to be a blessing to not only everyone that attends, but also a blessing to the wider community. Uh, similarly, we pray that you'll bless the offerings, that they will be used well to further your work. Uh, please be with Roy as he delivers the message today and speak through him such that we will be able to learn some practical ways to better reflect your character and be a blessing to those around us. Thank you for listening to our prayers. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's um, our time of offering, and if I could just get the whoever's in the front to just pass the baskets around. Um, you know, our church for a while didn't have an offering time because we wanted to not um, we wanted it to be something that wasn't confronting for our new visitors. So if you could just um, pass those around. Um, and we wanted to be able to um, let people know that they're welcome here without feeling the pressure of having to give, um, especially because we have so many people who come to our church on a weekly basis who have never been to church before. And people often say that one of the things that kind of turn them off from church is feeling like the church wants their money. Um, but over time, we were talking about it as a leadership. We prayed about it and discussed it for three years. And finally, we decided, you know what? It's also an opportunity um, to worship because when we give back to God financially, it's a way that we are saying to God, God, we trust you. We trust that you're going to take care of our needs. And so we decided to have a time of offering, but we make sure um, that you don't feel obligated to give, that it's for those who, who desire to give. Um, and if it's your first time today, please you know, don't feel, um, I hope you don't feel awkward during this time because it really is a time and opportunity for us to say, God, I trust you. Um, and, you know, if you have that kind of relationship with God already, it's just an opportunity for you to give back. Um, but I also want to, um, remind all of us that, you know, we think we give to God and it is a sacrifice, but when we think about how much God has given to us, um, it really isn't a sacrifice long-term. We, when we look at um, the sacrifices that Jesus made for us and all the blessings that God gives us every day, it's truly actually an, a privilege and an honor to be able to give some of it back to him. Um, there's going to be a little video because um, the theme today is called Learning Self-Control. And I don't know about you, but it's something that I'm still learning. And so we're going to see a short clip about some children who are learning self-control.
Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. You know, I kind of wondered what the different kids would have done in terms of when they were allowed to eat the marshmallow. If it were my kids, they would keep both marshmallows and just hold them for hours. Like, Micah just loves savoring stuff. Uh, each day he gets a daily those uh, gummy, gummy vitamins, and he'll just he'll hold it, lick it, and then hold it and lick it. And like by the time he's done, it's just, it's so unhygienic. <laughs> it's like, a, just eat it. But um, anyway, I think it's one thing to kind of smile at how young children respond to self-control. But the reality is we all have that same struggle that we face every single day. And so today we're going to talk about learning self-control. Let me just see if, uh, okay, great. As a church and denomination, Adventism has placed value on self-control, and uh, we call it temperance. Um, over 25 years ago, someone in Adventism started using the acronym New Start. And New Start, uh, the, the letters of New Start represent or stand for nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, and trust in God. Now, I usually try to um, find legal pictures on Google, and uh, I could not find a legal picture of New Start, but I figured if an Adventist wants to sue me, so be it. And so that's the one illegal picture for today. <clears throat> now, I just wanted to highlight that health is a very important part of Adventism. It's something that we promote as a church, um, and it's something that we are known for as a church. Back in 2005, there was a man by the name of Nan, uh, Dan Butner, and he did a cover story for Natural Geographic, um, and the, the cover story was something called Blue Zones. And I'm just kind of curious, uh, how many of you are familiar with this, um, with this research and with this cover story, the Blue Zone study? Okay, so there are a number of you out there. <clears throat> so basically, Dan Butner did a longevity and health study on the world's longest living communities. And he wasn't just looking for individuals, he's looking for groups of people that live extra long and healthy lives. And so he kind of calls these communities blue zones. Um, in the world, he identifies five different blue zones from around the world, whether it be um, Italy, Japan, um, and one of them happens to be a place called Loma Linda, California. Now, Loma Linda, California is kind of a unique community. Um, if you have gotten to know my wife, Jen Howell, you would know that her parents are from Loma Linda, California. And there just happens to be a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventists in that community. There are different schools, there are different healthcare institutions, and there's just a large number of Seventh-day Adventists. And what they found is that people who die in Loma Linda die past the age of 100 regularly. And so basically, the, the, this uh, researcher kind of asked the question, why are these people living so long? And he, he goes to Loma Linda, and here are different factors that he contributes this longevity of life um, to. And so um, I remember growing up uh, with my parents, and they started getting serious about New Start, these health practices. And uh, my mom stopped serving meat. And that was a very big deal because meat tastes good. And so it was kind of like less meat, more vegetables. And that kind of meant that mealtime went from being happy time to sad time. Um, she replaced white rice with brown rice, which is kind of like 
If you're Asian, that is just a no-no. You do not take away white rice. And uh, anyway, there was brown rice, and then um, pretty soon there were these black beans that were kind of in the rice. And like, beans? And that turned into red kidney beans. The beans started getting bigger, and there were lima beans in there. And it was kind of like, what are you doing to me? And I remember thinking, who came up with New Start? I want to meet this person and give him a piece of my mind. So New Start basically states that there's a relationship between your physical health practices and your spiritual mental health as well. So um, physical health combined with uh, spiritual and mental health. And so uh, there are different facets of New Start that make up this, um, uh, these eight principles of health. Um, and what I find is interesting about this concept is that it's saying if you have better health practices, you will be mentally healthy and you'll also be spiritually healthy as well. And so um, it's kind of interesting. There's some research done, um, and this is kind of silly because I'm going to spout off some nutrition facts, and they're like doctors and medical professionals here. But anyway, I'm going to do it anyway, and if I'm wrong, you can come and correct me later on. So apparently your brain burns uh, into your stores of glucose when it's active. If your blood sugar is low, you're more likely to succumb to destructive impulses. Sugary foods spike your sugar levels quickly and leave you drained and vulnerable shortly thereafter. And so eating something, eating foods that provide slow burn for your body, uh, such as whole grain rice and other slow burning calories, will give you a longer window of self-control. So that idea of nutrition is connected to temperance and mental well-being. Um, another one would be exercise. Exercise is also another good way to control um, your habits. And it seems kind of counterintuitive because you need motivation to go exercise. And so if you don't have motivation, how do you then create motivation? And the answer is go exercise and you will develop a stronger sense of motivation. And here's why. So your body if it moves for as little as 10 minutes, it releases something called GABA. And that's the most important inhibitory neurotransmitter that is involved in regulating self-control and mood. And so basically, it allows you to kind of calm down and it lowers your level of anxiety. And so the more active you are, uh, the more calm you are, which is kind of counterintuitive because my son is hyperactive and there are moments where it's like, aren't you going to calm down? But later on in his life, I believe that this principle is going to um, kick in. <laughs> He's going to be able to tap into all those GABA stores. So what we do in our bodies impacts how our minds work. It affects our relationship with God. So today, we're going to look at what the Bible says about self-control. So here's the first passage that I'd like to look at with you. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 25. And here's what the Bible says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and temperance. And there's that word that we're going to be talking about today. The Bible's definition of temperance is to master one's desires. Um, uh, excuse me, master one's desires and passions and especially sensual appetites. The text continues on. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires to their sinful nature, to his cross, and crucified them there. So there are two things that I want to highlight in this passage. The first one is faith and self-control go hand in hand. And temperance is a result 
of a connection with God. The second thing that I want to highlight in this passage is that we can gain valuable lessons about self-control by looking at the example and crucifixion of Jesus. And so the author of Galatians, Paul says, just as Jesus was nailed to a cross, if we understand Jesus' example, we too can learn how to nail our own passions to the cross. And I suppose that Paul uses this as an example because one of the greatest acts of self-control that Jesus would have faced is deciding whether or not he would die for humanity. And so we're going to look at three aspects of the crucifixion of Jesus, and I believe that there are some principles that can be pulled uh, from Jesus' experience that can teach us how to cultivate a better sense of self-control. So here's the first strategy to cultivate self-control. Enter into a contract. Enter into a contract. What do I mean by that? Jesus locks himself into a contract to die for humanity. And what I mean is, if Jesus doesn't save humanity, he and humanity will be lost. And I think it's easy to look at um, the plan of salvation and say, of course, if Jesus didn't die, then we wouldn't be saved. But the reality is, if Jesus did not give himself, I believe logically he too would have been lost and let me try and build a case for this so in luke chapter 23 if you have your white bibles i'm going to invite you to grab them and turn with me to luke chapter 23 it's the third book of the new testament matthew mark luke john for those of you who have your phones we're just going to be skimming through the chapter we're going to start in verse 20 luke chapter 23 and verse 20 for those of you who are using the White Bibles, it's page 849. Page 849. <clears throat> so Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 20. So here's what the Bible says. This is the crucifixion of Jesus. And here, the man who is judging Jesus' crucifixion realizes that Jesus is innocent, and he's doing everything he can to get Jesus off the hook. So, verse 20 says, Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged and then I will release him. And it's kind of, that's such a strange way of treating someone who's innocent. Ah, he didn't do anything wrong. So let's just beat him senseless and then we'll let him go. It's kind of, he's um, really trying to appease the angry mob. And at the same time, he's doing the wrong thing. Well, we keep reading. <clears throat> the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sends Jesus to his death, and Jesus is wrongfully accused, and he gets treated like a criminal. And I want to highlight this one important part, and that's Jesus is innocent, and he still gets sent to the cross. It is an unfair act that sends him to the crucifixion. And this is going to be important here. Um, the reality of this importance is going to come up shortly. So verse 35, it says, The crowd 
watched the leaders. And here, here's Jesus on the cross. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. And the text goes on to say that the soldiers mock him as well. And what I want to highlight here is there is a temptation to get Jesus to come off of the cross. At first glance, this taunt may seem harmless. Uh, it sounds just like an insult. But the same power and influence that wanted to put Jesus on the cross now wants Jesus to be so uncomfortable that he would preserve his life and come off of the cross. Jesus is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because things are so bad and unfair that it puts him on the cross. And now that same influence that put him on the cross is trying to get him to be so uncomfortable, he'll step off. And here's why this is important. In John chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus shares this really, really important concept. And he says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. And so here's my question. If Jesus steps off of the cross, what happens to him? He's lost. And so it's this great temptation because I imagine Jesus doesn't like taking sin upon himself. I imagine Jesus doesn't like dealing with the physical pain and all these creatures that he himself has created that are kind of throwing insults at him. He's kind of like, you want to see what God is like? Well, let me show you. And then just kind of come off of the cross. And, and the point is Jesus doesn't. He practices self-control. And the reason why is because he binds himself to this contract of salvation. He knows in order to save humanity, I have to take this step. And so I'm going to endure suffering. In Greek mythology, there's something called a Ulysses contract. And the Greek word name for Ulysses is Odysseus. And um, there's this well-known story of Odysseus. He wants to hear the song of the sirens so bad, even though he knows it's going to render him incapable of rational thought. He knows if I listen to this song, I'm going to want to jump off the boat, run into the water to uh, spend the rest of my life with these sirens, but the reality is he's going to die. And so he comes up with this plan. He goes to his crew and he says, I want you to pour wax in your ears and cover your ears so you can't hear the song. But I want to hear the song, so I'm going to tie myself to the mast. And no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I yell, don't let me go. And so sure enough, they follow uh, Odysseus's uh, commands and they sail right past the sirens. He hears the beautiful music. He wants to jump off of the boat, but he survives because he places boundaries upon himself. Now, this may seem like a silly example in that he's kind of catering to something that's bad. But in modern day context, we call these things Ulysses contracts, where we, there are habits that we want to change. And so we place contracts upon ourselves. We limit ourselves so that we can practice self-control. And this shows that there's some, uh, uh, there are many cases where this works. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to make a contract with yourself in the future without placing boundaries upon yourself. 
And this conversation sounds like this. Tonight, I will go to bed by 10.30. And then evening comes along, and then you think to yourself, okay, maybe 11. Next week, I will go to the gym three times. And you know where this is heading. Next week comes around, and you're like, okay, next week, next week. I'll make up for the three times. I'll do it five times. See, contracts help put our future selves in check because our future self is always better than our present self. And so I don't know if you've heard of the alarm clock. It links your bank account, it links your bank account to a charity of your choice. And every time you hit the snooze button, it donates your money to a charity. And I suppose if you wanted to work correctly, you would donate it to a charity that you don't like. Right, Because every time you hit the button, you know that it's funding something that you dislike. So the clock is called the snooze and lose. And um, it's connected to your Wi-Fi, and you bring it to your house. And uh, it's, anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting tool to get people out of bed. Everybody knows, I'm going to wake up at 6 o'clock, I'm going to go hit the gym, and I'll be refreshed, and I'll go to work. 6 o'clock turns around, you hit the snooze button, you're like, uh, okay, just maybe a few more times, and then 8 o'clock, you're like, ah, I have to run off to work. This week... I decided to place myself into a contract that I'm going to share with you. I decided I want to gain weight, healthy weight. Everybody is on these weight loss programs. I'm on a weight gain program. I would like to gain 7.5 kilos. And I was looking at the BMI index and I was kind of like, all right, if I want to hit like smack dab in the middle of my health range, it's going to be 7.5 kilos around roughly, maybe a little bit beyond the, the healthy range. So I'm willing to enter into contract with anybody here in this room. I want to hear your health goals, and I'll make a deal with you. If you reach your health goal before I reach mine, I'll give you $50. But if I reach my health goal before you, you have to give me $50. <laughs> and, and here's where this gets interesting. The more people we get to enter into this contract, the bigger the pot grows. So imagine if there are 10 people who say, yep, I'll join that contract. Imagine $500 at stake. How motivating is that? So this is a genuine offer. If you have a health goal, and the reality is I'm not going to reach 7.5 kilos anytime soon. <laughs> but so this is a long-term goal, but it's a realistic goal. I want to reach an optimum weight of 7.5 kilos more. So that's my contract. I'm offering it. You can come talk to me later on. So that first strategy is enter into a contract. Here's the second strategy. Set long-term goals. Jesus focused on and visualized his long-term goals. In Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, the Bible says this, therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside, beside God's throne. So Jesus is able to practice self-control 
and deal with the immediate discomfort of the cross because he looks into the future and says, there's incredible joy that I can experience. And because of that goal, the immediate discomfort is something that he can bear. And so the author of Hebrews says, when you're running this race that requires endurance, that requires self-discipline, self-control, look at what Jesus did. There was discomfort, yes, but the prize was worth it. The prize was worth it. I don't know if you've heard of that phrase, heaven is cheap enough. Heaven is cheap enough. And there's always this idea of right now in my life, it's so hard to practice my faith because of X, Y, and Z. And that phrase, heaven is cheap enough, it gets us to take our focus off of the immediate pain and focus on the eternal goal. So here, Jesus lives as an example. Jesus' long-term goal was to be with us. And here's the second part of the principle that I want to highlight. Jesus' self-control and long-term goals revolved around relationships. It wasn't just some action that he wanted to complete. His self-control and his goals revolved around relationships. A lot of times goals can be self-centered, but Jesus' self-control is motivated by his love for others. You know, fitness and health takes a lot of self-control, but most of the time the payoff is, I get a great bod. <laughs> People are like, hey man, how, much, how often do you work out? And there's kind of like this vanity that's attached to uh, physical health. And what I love about this principle here is that, yes, Jesus sets goals, but the context of that goal is relationship. My dad um, is probably one of the physically healthiest, that was bad English. <laughs> He's a really healthy guy. <laughs> and, and at the age of 50, he started being serious about his health. And what he started to do was he was like, look, I'm hitting my 50s. I feel like I'm getting older and I'm just going to start exercising. So he started running. And so he headed out of the house. And the first time he went, I think he ran like 5K. And he ran 5K for a while. And then he got in touch with a uh, running group. And then he started running 10K. And within about six months, he was like, hey, Roy, I'm going to go run my first half marathon. And this is at, like, this is at the age of 50, 51. And um, at the time, I would have been in my like 20s. And I was like, wow, I have never run. I've never run 13 miles before. <laughs> like, that's just, that's incredible. And um, so he ran the half marathon. He comes back, he was like, that was great. And he just got bit by the bug. And basically he upped his running to um, like 40K. And just basically five days a week, he would go running like 10 to 15K at a time. And he, he would go to these shoe stores and you know it's serious when the shoe store sales rep asks you, how many K do you run a week? Like that's, that's how they determine what kind of shoe that you're going to buy. And people are talking about like, oh, like, you know, 100K, 150K. And it's just kind of like, I drive 150K a week. <laughs> like what is wrong with you guys? And, and every year from the age of 51 to about 69 my dad ran marathons. Um, so at the age of 70, my dad just ran the Seattle Marathon. 
and he completed it last year, and he called me. He's like, hey, I finished it. My goal was five hours, and he said five hours, but he knows he can run it faster. He just, he, he wants to impress people, right? He, he wants people to ask, so what time did you get? Wow, you're so healthy. <laughs> and I, I just, you know, there are times where my dad's like, hey, do you, you, do you want to go running with me? And my answer is always, no, no. I don't want to get outrun by a 70-year-old. <laughs> and, and, and I kind of asked, and I was like, hey, so, like, how do you find motivation to do this year in and year out? It's one thing to have a goal and to keep it for, like, one year. And you look at the, the, the careers of Olympic athletes, and it's kind of like they're very healthy while they're active. But after they leave their athleticism, a lot of times their practices drop off. And I asked my dad, hey, like, how do you keep the longevity of your motivation? And he said this. He's like, look, I'm getting old, and I want to enjoy my family. I want to enjoy my life as much as I possibly can. And it was such an um, impressive thing to me because he was saying, listen, it's because of you guys that I am motivated to be healthy. And I just kind of thought, yeah, that would motivate somebody for a long period of time. And um, I, I talked to him just a little bit ago, and I was like, hey, how are you doing? Like, how, how, how's, how's your fitness? How's your health? And he's like, oh, yeah, I was playing squat, or I was playing racquetball, and I sprained my ankle. And so he's, like, out of action for a few months, and it's, like, the worst thing ever to him. But uh, anyway, that's my dad. Notice what it says here in Second Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 5 to 7. Peter talks about this growth in Christian virtue and this growth in um, different Christian practices. Notice what he says. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The goal of self-control is not self-control or status or even holiness. And I think that's a really difficult thing to wrestle with um, as Christians because oftentimes we associate self-control with holiness. But according to this verse, the context of self-control is love for humanity. And I wonder if that would change the way that we interact with one another in our own self-control. Because rather than loathing people who are also not suffering the way that we are, we may just try and care for them. The effectiveness of our self-control is determined by what motivates our self-control. And love is that ultimate motivator. So the first, two, the first two strategies that we've talked about enter into a contract. Number two, set long-term goals. And I would add, set long-term goals that are relational. And finally, accept yourself in moments of temptation. Jesus understood sin without succumbing to it. And this is a bit, maybe, um, maybe I'm being a bit creative with this verse, but I was kind of just thinking about this this week. And um, one aspect of this verse just kind of stuck out to me. And it says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus understood sin, but he did not sin. 
I came across this interesting uh, TED talk, which led me to um, this theory, and it's called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. It's known as ACT. And it states that we have different coping mechanisms for responding to stress and anxiety. So we try to control and manage our feelings in moments of stress, but oftentimes our coping mechanisms act like an emotional amplifier. And so when it's switched on, we can have anger about our anxiety. We can have anxiety about our anger, depression about our depression, and guilt about our guilt. And so it's kind of like, oh, I'm feeling this way. Why am I feeling this way? And that's a coping mechanism that we kind of um, naturally possess. And so basically what ACT says is, instead of trying to control and manage our feelings, we should sense acceptance in those moments. So a scenario might look like this. I shouldn't eat. Oh man, that cookie looks really good. It smells so good too, but I shouldn't eat it. Yeah, but I really want it. And so what, what, we're, what we're doing here is there's this fight that ensues, this tug of war battle. You know what? I'm just going to eat it. And then right afterwards, it's like, ah, oh, I feel like such a failure. You know what? I'm going to watch my favorite TV and eat some more food. <laughs> That'll make me feel better. And so what ACT Therapy states is instead of fighting, accept yourself. And the Christian worldview to this therapy would be accept yourself because God accepts you. Accept yourself because there is forgiveness. Accept yourself because Jesus has died for you. You have incredible value. And so rather than fighting that feeling and then beating yourself up because you're fighting that feeling, it's letting go and saying, you know what? I am tempted right now. And in this moment, I'm going to practice the acceptance of God in my life because there is love, there is value, there's acceptance for me, even though I struggle with this thing. And so rather than fighting it, you're accepting it. Going through this process lets you objectively think about why you are struggling. And in that moment, rather than just thinking about how good it would be to eat that cookie or whatever it is, Rather than thinking about just how good it is, you realize just how much value you have and you're able to say, this is unhealthy for me. And so I'm going to walk away. There's a lot of literature and different strategies around ACT theory. I spent a, a bit of time reading uh, about it uh, this weekend. It's actually really, really interesting. The different things that you can, the different mental exercises that you can go through to help you walk away from different scenarios that are difficult to manage. And so if you're interested, you can Google ACT theory, uh, therapy, uh, acceptance and commitment the theory, uh, therapy, and learn more about it. So in conclusion, three strategies to cultivate self-control. Enter into a contract, set long-term goals, accept yourself in your temptation. And I actually forgot a fourth one, but it's forgive yourself if you give in to temptation because God forgives you. May God bless you as you think upon his word. And as you enter into your own um, goals of self-control, may you experience victory. May God bless you. Now, I just realized there are several times where we don't always explain the video. 
And um, I think sometimes people, when it's their first time, there's a video that's playing, like, should we sing along with it? What should we do in this moment? Um, We usually have this time of reflection where we've shared a message from God's word, and now we want to give you an opportunity to kind of reflect on what you've heard. And so there's a song that just allows you to quietly think through um, the music and the word that you've just heard. May God bless you as you think upon his word. So we're having a, a technical challenge, so we're just going to close the prayer, and then we'll enter into our discussion time. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we come before you today, and as we think about your ultimate sacrifice, um, as we think about the self-control that you practiced and the sacrifice that you gave, I pray that you would move us in our areas of life where um, you would have us experience freedom. And I just want to pray that as we embark upon this, uh, these challenges, these struggles, we pray that you would give us victory, that you would give us temperance, that we would experience a deeper quality of love and purpose. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now is the time in our service where we have discussions and nibbles. If you turn around to the... Oh... The video works now, so if you'd like to watch the video, it's actually a really good song, so um, please spend a thoughtful moment as you reflect on the words. Okay, <laughs> that's all right. Thank you, guys. Um, so, yeah, now for those of you who are, who are joining us for the first time, uh, we usually have um, nibbles and discussion. So if you turn around, there's some tables back there. And um, it's, it's our chance as a church to get to know those of you who are visiting our church. We get to know you a little bit better, and it gives us a chance to kind of explore and discuss the message that, have, that has just been shared. Um, there are people that write out questions that have to do with, um, the sermon for the day. And so we'd just like to invite you, enjoy some food with us, get to know us a little bit better, and um, we'd love to get to know you as well. For those of you who have children, we have children's Sabbath school right here in the conference room to, our, to my right. Um, and uh, we'll go into the next part of our service. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>